Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're going to continue on our study of Revelation, and we're going to take a bit of a detour. We've been uh, pretty steady on as far as our study of the different letters to the churches, and we spent some time last week talking about Smyrna, and I'm going to read to you a verse that's found in Jesus' letter to Smyrna, but in fact, it's found, the quote we're going to read is found in pretty much every letter that he writes here in the book of Revelation. We read last week about the people of Smyrna who had gone through a great ordeal of affliction, who had, um, in fact, been in the midst of abject poverty because of the persecution that was, that was directed at them. And yet they didn't lose heart. They didn't give up. And the Lord says to them, he says, I'm, I'm aware of your circumstances. And I, I imagine that, that that in itself is comforting to know that God himself, that Jesus would say, I'm not unaware of what you're going through. I'm aware of what has been done to you. I'm aware of the situation you've put, been put in. Because make no mistake, the reason for their abject poverty was because of the stand that they took. Because of the stand that they took, they were kicked out of their guilds. They were removed from positions where they could have made money. Things were taken from them. Property was seized from them. And so they were in a state of having nothing. And yet Jesus says, I know you're poverty and yet you're rich. So he reminds them that what they have is worth a lot more than what they've lost. What they have is the treasure of, of, that, of that life in him. What they have is that treasure of that relationship in him. And he says, I mean, I wish he would have said, um, don't worry, it's getting better soon. But he, in fact, he says, uh, there's more coming and it's not going to be easy. He says, there's going to be 10 days or periods of persecution um, and we know he wasn't talking about 10 literal 24-hour days because they were persecuted for a lot longer than that. But he says there's going to be 10 periods of persecution. And he says, but if you are faithful, stay faithful. In fact, he says, stay faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. And then he goes on and he says this, and we're going to pick up right here in Revelation chapter 2. He says, right at the end of the, of the letter, he says, be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Then he says in verse 11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Like I said, that's something that is found in every one of these letters that he writes. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So we've gone to great lengths through this series to, to give you some background on the churches that Jesus is writing to so that you can know why he's saying what he's saying, why he's bringing out certain things. So in Ephesus, we learned about why they might be, why he might point out that it's been important that they didn't compromise. It's been important that they've endured, but it's also important that they return to the first love and, and, and retain that, that, that lampstand that the Lord has put in their midst. Uh, when we got to Smyrna, we, we found out background as to why he talked about the great affliction they'd been through, why they had been through such hard times. And we'll continue to do that through the rest of the churches. But the only thing I want you to be aware of is, is as you find out the background of what they were going through, don't remove yourself from the commands that Jesus gives and, and say, well, that was for them because of their situation, right? So Jesus said that to them, but he'd say something different to me. 
Because even if you're not going through the exact same thing that these guys are going through, he's telling us, whoever has an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So it's important that we understand that, that, that just because he's talking to Ephesus and he's talking to Smyrna and he's giving them um, words of encouragement and words of correction that are specific to what they're going through. At the same time, the word of God is so broad, it's so, it's, it's, it's so perfect that you can take it and still apply that to your life and it would be true for you as well. Do you understand? He's saying, if you've got an ear to hear, then listen to what I'm saying to these churches because it'll apply to you too. Even if you're not in their exact same situation. He's written these letters personally, but he expects these letters to be read corporately. And that's important because sometimes I I think it's great for us to have some academic and cultural background to what we read in the Bible. But it's important that we don't remove ourselves and, and... Think of ourselves as distant observers and just kind of take a scholarly look where we, we remove ourselves and we just kind of, we, we reason our way through it and we look at them from a distance and say this is historically what they were going through. Because if we remove ourselves, we miss the life that's in these words. Jesus is still speaking to us as well. That's the beautiful thing about the spirit of prophecy. We've talked about this through our Sunday series about the prophetic words about Jesus' birth that often they had, they had an immediate um, repercussions. They had immediate uh, meaning to the people that were hearing them, but also far-reaching. So when Isaiah prophesies about the child to be born, he's, tell, he's reassuring a king about something that's going to happen really soon, but he's also looking ahead to the birth of a Messiah. And so as Jesus, now the Bible says in the book of Revelation here that the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when Jesus speaks, he is speaking um, as, as a teacher, he's speaking as a king, but he's also speaking prophetically to them. And what he's saying to them immediately has an impact. It, it has um, an interpretation for them right now, but it also can be read by us 2,000 years later and we can still receive life from this. What's the, only, what's the only qualification here? You have to have an ear to hear. Now, you might say, well, we all have ears, right? This is not a statement like, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Jesus, you, you all know this because you've read the Gospels, you've read through the Bible. This is one of Jesus' favorite sayings. This is like Jesus' catchphrase. Let he who has an ear, let him hear. You, you read the Gospels, he says it all the time. In fact, I'm talking about Jesus, but you know, God says this throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. But Jesus, walking through the the countryside of Judea, said it over and over and over again. Let the one who has ears to hear, let them hear. Which is is interesting because right now, you, you don't really have a choice but to hear the sound of my voice. Unless you put earplugs in, you're here, you're hearing But there's a difference between hearing the sound and really hearing. You know what I mean? Really letting those words hit you. Really letting those words impact you. Really letting that seed, which Jesus said his word was a seed. Really letting that seed go into the soil of your own heart. So hearing is a choice. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice you're making tonight. 
You know, I don't know why each individual came to church tonight. I don't know if you came because it's your routine. I don't know if you came because you told a friend you'd go with them. I don't know if you came because you wanted to bring your teenager for youth group or whatever. Or whoever's listening to the podcast, you might have a million different reasons for doing that. But the choice we have to make tonight, just because you came, doesn't mean you're really hearing. Really hearing is going to require a choice on your part. It's going to require diligence on your part. It's going to require a sense of leaning in to what God is saying. We could listen and say, you could be listening for different things. You could be listening to say, was was this a good message? Was it well preached? You could be listening to say, was was it engaging? Was it entertaining? Was it informative? Was it educational? But what you really should be listening to, if I could give you any piece of advice, what you should be listening to every time the word is preached, every time you open your Bible at home, every time you have a spiritual discussion with a friend, what you should be listening for is what is God saying? And what is he saying to me? And if we believe that every scripture is inspired or God-breathed, and it's all profitable for us, every time the Bible is preached, every time your Bible is opened, every time the word of God is spoken amongst us, we should expect that the Lord has something to say to me, to you. Will we hear it? Do we have an ear to hear? I don't want to take you back to a familiar section of scripture in Matthew chapter 13. And the reason we're taking this detour... um, This week is because we are going to continue on through these letters to the churches um, in the new year. We're going to continue on through that study. But it's important that we get this point because Jesus keeps saying it over and over again. I'm sure you can catch the clue. If Jesus says something every time he writes a letter, if he says it over and over again, it's probably something that's pretty important. It's probably something I should learn or pay attention to. So if Jesus over and over is saying, let he who has an ear, let him hear, then this is something we need. If we're going to go any further in the study of what Jesus is saying to these churches, then we need to receive the fact and we need to believe the fact that through these letters to these churches, he wants to speak to me. You know, the Bible says the word of God is... um, is, a sh- is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the heart. It's able to uh, divide between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this is an uncomfortable thing, but really, if I'm hearing the word of God, and if I'm studying it, if I'm hearing it, the word of God is studying me. The word of God is by nature invasive, Right? A seed sown in your heart, that's invasive. It's taken up, and it's, it's, it's invasive at the beginning because it's a seed that's going into your heart, but it's going to get even more invasive as it grows because when things grow, they take up space. That's how you know you've been listening. That's how you know you've been engaging is can you look back in two years and say, what did that word do in my life? How have I changed because of what God has said? How has it affected me? How has it taken up room in my life? And when it takes up room, it, it not only takes up space and bears fruit, you should always see the fruit eventually, but it also probably has pushed other things out. You know, when you're a new believer, We've all said this. If, if, if God gave you a list of all the things that you needed to change the moment you got saved, you'd just lay down and want to take a nap for the rest of your life. You wouldn't, it would be so depressing. But we don't do that to our own kids, do we? 
Do, do you get your three-year-old and say, I, I know you're trying to uh, express your thoughts through your words here, but let me tell you, you're also going to have to study for, for all these different tests, and you're going to need to get a scholarship because I'm not paying for the rest of your college. And we need to do this. And like, I mean, if you gave your kid all that information, what are they supposed to do with it? Right? So as they grow, the, Paul said, when I grew up, I put away some childish things. So there were things that were in your life and in your heart and in your thoughts. And in, there were things that were a part of you when you were first saved that, that eventually, there was nothing wrong with them being a part of your life at that point. But eventually as you grow, the, the things of the kingdom begin to take up those spots in your heart. And you sort of let things go that you don't need anymore. You, you push things out that, that were just taking up space in your life. And I'm not talking about the things that God planned. I'm talking about the things that were just in your heart, just in your life, just other things. The more the word grows, the more it pushes those other things away. And that's a good thing because we're starting to look more and more like Jesus every day. So in Matthew 13, Jesus has just told the parable of the sower. I don't need to remind you that he told the parable of the sower. He gave them four examples of what might happen when they're farming. And he's talking to a bunch of farmers. And he doesn't say a spiritual thing to them. Right? He does not give them a spiritual fact. He just says, seed that you sow on the road, the birds will eat it. Seed that you sow on rocky ground, eventually there's no roots. Sun will dry it up. Won't, won't really grow for that long. It'll dry up. See that you sow on thorny ground. Eventually the thorns will choke it out. It'll become unfruitful. Seeds that you show, sow on good ground, it'll grow up and it'll bear fruit. Then he walked away. So he just told them something real obvious. He told farmers how to do their job and not even really complex. Like he didn't give them like advanced farmer tips. He just told them, you throw the seed on a rock, it won't grow. But if you throw it in good ground, it will grow. He didn't give them much to go on. Now, we all know what he meant because we've read the rest of the story where he explained it. But he didn't explain it to the crowds. He walked away and a large crowd of his disciples followed him. More than the 12, but there were, these were disciples. These were people. What is a disciple? This is someone who has gone beyond just showing up at the event. Right? This is not just somebody who showed up at the, at, the, at the event to see some miracles happen. I just want to be freaked out. You know, I'm hoping, that a, I'm hoping that a blind guy gets to see. I want to see one of those demon-possessed kids. Those are the most fun. You know, these aren't the disciples. That's the multitudes. But the disciples are the ones that say, this man has something to teach us. We're going to follow him. We're not just going to hear him. We're not just going to watch him. We're going to follow. This is going to change us. So they go up to Jesus and they say, what are you talking about? Like, what was the point of that story? Because he didn't explain it. He just told the story about farming and he left. And they say, what was the point of this? And he says this. In Matthew chapter 13, his disciples came and said to him, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And we all say that's not very fair, but it is how the kingdom works. You know another time that he said those exact words? He, did a, he, he told them a parable about a lamp. Sort of like the parable he told about you know, let your light shine. But this was a bit different. And he said, you know, when you have a light, you do put it on a lampstand. You don't hide it. 
And he goes on and he says, so be careful how you hear. For to whom the one that has a lot is going to get more and the one that doesn't will get less. And, and eventually, you know, he says, whatever you receive, you should be putting on a lampstand. That's an interesting thought. He says, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you listen. Because it's going to be expected of you that how you listen, what you listen to, that that's supposed to make a difference in your life. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever come to church or opened your Bible or whatever, however the Lord has spoken? Have you ever considered that I need to be careful how I listen today? Because if I'm careful how I listen, I'm going to get something that maybe I wouldn't have got if I had just showed up. I need to be careful how I listen because whatever I receive, something's going to be expected. God's expecting I do something with what I heard. He says here, he says, but to them it's not been granted. You might think, well, he was just picking favorites. But the reason it was granted to the guys that followed him to know the mysteries was because they followed him. So because they followed him, he said, I'm going to let you know what the explanation is. Because they asked him, he said, I'll let you know. You notice, it, it wasn't, the crowds didn't ask him. And he said, I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. I'm going to tell my disciples later. They didn't ask. They had confused faces, I'm sure. They had puzzled looks on their faces. But the disciples were the ones that said, what do you mean? In fact, one of the other gospels paints the picture for us. It says Jesus began to walk up the mountain and they followed him up the mountain and said, I don't get it. What does that mean? He goes on and he says this in verse 12. For whoever has, well, we read that, I'm sorry. Verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they don't see. While hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. So you, you get this. They're hearing, but they're not hearing. Right? That, that may not make sense. Because he's using the same word. But he says, they're hearing, but they're not hearing. They're seeing, but they're not seeing. They're just hearing and seeing what's on the surface. But they're not really seeing and hearing what I'm trying to say. What, I, what I'm trying to show them. And he says, with their heart, they don't understand. In verse 14, he says... In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Now, that's important because a lot of times we, we might read uh, when this is quoted in the other Gospels, and you might just think that God picked some people to hear and some people not to, but Jesus puts the onus on them. He says that your hearts have become dull. Notice the word become. That, that's not an instant thing. That's a gradual thing, isn't it? How would my heart become dull? I've said this to you before, but... Nowhere in the scripture does God talk about the pagan nations having hard hearts. He talks about his people having hard hearts. The only, the only pagan, un, you know, uh, ungodly person, Gentile person that I can think of in the Bible that's called hard-hearted is Pharaoh. And that only happens after he hears the word of the Lord and rejects it. 
And his heart was further hardened. In fact, it says God hardened his heart. How did God harden his heart? By keep, he kept talking to him. And when, when the Lord speaks to us, but we're not listening, our heart will get harder and harder and harder. That's why it's a dangerous thing to come to church. It's not dangerous because anybody's going to yell at you. It's not dangerous because we're going to be pointing out who's listening and who's not. Because I don't know. Why it's dangerous is, it's a dangerous thing to hear a bunch of stuff and never do anything with it. Because you train yourself just to hear, but never to do. And a person that hears and never does is going to become harder and harder throughout time. That's why most of the people that don't know what you know, most of the people that don't follow Jesus, but they don't know much about Jesus, you couldn't say they really have hard hearts. They just don't know. Maybe their eyes are blinded, but their hearts, they're just, you know. It's Christians that have sat for years hearing something and never doing it that become the hardest of heart. That's why Jesus struggled with the religious people who knew the most, yet did the least with it. So he struggled. He fought. It says their ears, they, they scarcely hear. So they're hearing a little but barely. And listen to this. They have closed their eyes. They closed their eyes. They close their eyes. Otherwise, and this is what I want you to see. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. They would hear with their ears. They would understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. Now, I love that last section because it shows the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to heal, to restore, to deliver, to save. That's his name. Right, so he came to heal these people. And um, when he says heal, he's not just talking about their bodies. Because you know what? The, the folks that he just preached to, they saw healing, physical. But they weren't experiencing the fullness of the healing that he had for them. Because it stopped on the surface level. Fix my leg, it's not working. Fix my eyes, they're not working. But they never went beyond that. He says, if they would see with their eyes, if they would hear with their ears, if they, if they would soften their heart, they would understand. And here's, the, here's what would happen. If they saw what I was trying to show them, if they heard what I was trying to say to them, if they understood what I was trying to plant in their heart, then here's the result. They would turn. And that says here, return. But, but throughout the Gospels and throughout the Old Testament prophets, you see God saying this, if you'd hear me, you would turn. And then if you turned, I would heal you, right? Because the presence of Jesus heals us. When we turn to Jesus, we're healed. When we turn to Jesus, we're restored. When we turn to Jesus, we're brought back to life. You ever noticed why God uses this language all throughout the prophets? Hey, listen to what I'm saying, he says over and over again. He uses radical methods to get people's attention. He, he uses his prophets as walking object lessons. The humiliation the guys like Ezekiel had to go through just so that people would pay attention. So he's saying over and over again, hey, listen. How many times does he use the word behold? Behold, in other words, look over here. Look, I'm trying to show you something. God, throughout history, it's the funniest thing that God, who is the most majestic, great, just, just, just transcendent being, is the one that's constantly saying, hey, can I have your attention? And what's so weird about it is, he can say that, and we're still like, oh, I don't know. 
Because we get so distracted by so many things. And he's saying, behold. You know that he's going to say it later in, to one of these churches. He's going to say, behold. Hey, over here, look. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears me and lets me in, I'll go eat with them. You've just been offered a meal with the king. But people aren't answering the door. He's saying, hey, look, I'm knocking. So he's giving them two things. Look, I'm knocking. And listen, you can hear the knock. Here I am. Won't you open the door? How many times does he say, behold? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold, if, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Behold, look at this, look at this, look at this. How many times does Jesus have to walk through the crowds and say, if anybody's got an ear, you probably should listen. Listen to what I'm saying. And I'm sure there were people in the crowd that are saying, we are listening. How frustrating would it be? Because you'd be sitting in the crowd going, what does he mean? I'm listening. For him to respond to you, you're listening, but are you listening? And I'm sure somebody would say, oh, don't play mind games with me right now. Come on. I'm listening to you. I'm here, aren't I? I showed up. And yet, all those people showed up, and he says this about them. He, he's not talking about the people that stayed home. He says nothing about them. He talks about all the people that showed up to the meeting. Do you remember, I believe it's in Matthew 7, when he talks about the uh, man who builds his house on, a, on the sand and the man who digs down and builds his house on a rock? He says, in both cases, both of them come to me and hear my words. But one of them does what I say and the other doesn't. That's the difference. So in none of these parables is Jesus addressing the people that didn't bother to show up. He's talking to people that came. They came to church. They showed up. They came to hear him speak. And yet, one of the groups isn't really hearing. And the other is. And when you're really hearing, when you're really seeing, the natural response is to turn towards him. Because the Lord is not a place. He's a person. Right? This is an easy one, guys. <laughs> You may not know what I'm getting at, but we can all agree on that fact. So, if I was blindfolded, and you said, and I said, I want to find my wife. Well, I could think about the last place I saw her. But just because I saw her there once doesn't mean she's still there. She's not an object. She's not a place. She's a person. So, she can move. In fact, she has to move. That's a good thing. So we think of God and we think of looking up at the sky, but in reality, you know, he's everywhere. And the Lord is moving and the Lord is acting. And he is filling all this space, but turning towards him is an act of the heart. And, and in fact, Jesus says, the only way you're going to be able to follow me, now, if we're following him, it means he's moving. Right? 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 You can't follow that wall. That's going to be a short trip. You only can follow someone that's moving. He says, my sheep will follow me. And here's why. Because they'll hear my voice. They're not following me because they're looking closely at the, at the map. They're following me 
because they hear my voice. And wherever I am speaking, that's where I'm going. He says, the reason you won't follow false teachers or strangers is because you don't know their voice. So you're listening to the right voice. So the only way to really follow Jesus is to hear him. And he says, if you have an ear, hear what I'm saying. How does the Lord lead us? By his word, by his voice, by his spirit. And in this case, you might think that the only way the Holy Spirit leads us is by goosebumps. But he says here, here's how the Spirit's leading you. In this case, he's leading you by speaking to the church. Will you hear me? Do I have your attention? Do I have your heart? Do I have your ears? Because if I do, if you would hear me, if you would see me, if you would open your heart to me, then your response would be to turn towards me and I would heal you. Everyone that turns to the Lord is saved. Everyone that turns to the Lord is delivered. Everyone that turns to the Lord is restored and healed because he is life. So we turn to the Lord, whatever the broken places in us are, they are healed in his presence. It's the presence of Jesus that changes everything. Here he says, I'm trying to tell you something that will turn you. So, so let, me just, let me just put this in perspective. Tonight, the word of God is being preached. How do you know if you had an ear to hear? Like, if we were to take a poll out in the lobby and say, did you listen to the sermon? Yeah, everybody would say yes. Did you have an ear to hear? Well, most of us would say, I hope so. I think so. I'd like to think I have an ear to hear. Well, how do you know? Is there any way to know? Is, well, sure, you know by your heart, but sometimes you're trying to judge your heart, right? And it's difficult because you think it's good, but if you're in darkness, you don't know you're in darkness. That's a good point. You, you look at your heart, you might see some fruit. But you don't see fruit usually right away, do you? Fruit takes time. So how would you know tonight? How would you know tomorrow? I, I'll, I'll tell you how I think you could know. Because he tells us, if you would see and you would hear and you would understand, you would turn. Here's how you know you've been hearing. It turned you in some way. The word of God will always turn us towards him even when we think we're looking at them. And, and maybe it's different areas of your heart. You see, maybe I'm following Jesus with most of my heart, but not wholeheartedly because there is this person that I have not been able to forgive. Maybe I don't even know I haven't forgiven them. I've, I've held something against this sister or brother in Christ, and it's been there for a long time. And I think I'm doing all the right things. I think I'm loving Jesus with all my heart. I think I'm keeping all his commands. But... I'm sitting there in a, in a service or I'm at home reading my Bible or I'm having a conversation with a friend and suddenly the, the, something is said. Maybe, maybe a scripture is quoted or maybe something is said by the Spirit of God. Maybe it's a word being spoken prophetically. Whatever it is, something is said that pokes me in the heart and illuminates, brings light to a corner that's been dark. And for the first time in a long time, I realize I haven't forgiven that person. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I thought I was. I thought I was doing it. I, think, I thought I was doing everything. But all of a sudden, the word shone a light 
to an area. And I said, ooh, and it wasn't condemning. You see, the enemy is a condemning force. The enemy wants you to go out of church feeling bad about yourself. Whereas when the Spirit points something out, it's for your healing. And you know how to change. You know the step to take. You're not, you're not walking out with your shoulder slump feeling like you got beat up tonight. You're, you're, you're saying you might walk out being encouraged saying, well, thank God it confirmed some things I knew. Or you might walk out saying there were five things that I was doing that I didn't know I was doing and I was corrected. But I know that I'll be better now that I've been corrected by the Spirit of God. Because correction does not mean spanking. Correction means made straight. So he took a crooked thing and he made it straight. And how does he straighten us out? He causes us to turn. John the Baptist was sent to cause people's hearts to return to the Lord. To return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. He was called to return hearts. And in the act of returning hearts and people turning their hearts, he said the crooked places in your heart will be made straight. The mountains will be leveled and the valleys will be lifted up and there'll be a straight path in your heart for the Lord to move. Here's a reality. God wants to work in your life. We all believe that. Here's another reality. You're only going to see him work in your life when you've made a straight path for him to work in. Now you, you, may sound, you may say, well, that doesn't sound like it leaves much to the sovereignty of God. Can't God do whatever he wants Can't God do whatever he wants in my own heart? If he wants to, he'll do it. That may be true to a degree. And yet if that were true, why would the scripture tell us over and over again to not harden our heart? If you couldn't do a thing about it, it seems kind of pointless to tell us that, doesn't it? How many times in Hebrews does it say, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And in fact, it, Hebrews isn't even the first place. He's quoting from the Old Testament. So God is continually telling you, and Jesus puts it on you. You closed your eyes. You let your heart become dull. You let your ears become dull of hearing. This was something that you allowed to happen. But if it's something that you allowed to happen, praise God. By the grace of God, by the power of God, because it is not you alone. It is God working through you. But if you'll allow him, he will restore your hearing. He'll restore your sight. He'll restore your heart. Now, you can't fix this by yourself. Only God. But you let him work in you. You don't resist. You turn. How has the word turned me? How has it turned my heart? How has it turned my gaze? How have I turned to the Lord? And in fact, throughout the New Testament, it talks about groups of people that turned from something to the Lord. They turned from idols. They're turned from darkness. They turn from their wickedness. They, they, in the act of turning towards the Lord, you're simultaneously turning away from other things. And all of this is healing. Paul said in Acts, Paul quotes this verse too. In Acts 28, he talks to um, another, yet another group of Jewish people that have rejected him. In fact, let me read it to you real quick. He says this, Acts 28 He quotes the same scripture from Isaiah. In Isaiah, sorry, in Acts 28, verse 25. Or no, let's go back to verse 23. 
Acts 28 verse 23 says, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. And trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. From morning until evening. So these guys are listening to a lot of preaching. Right? A lot of teaching. You may think, I've listened to all the sermons. I've read all the books. I, there's, if it, I, none of it's working in my life. You know how many people have said that to me? It's not working for me. It, it doesn't work just because you hear it. It doesn't work just because you read it. Just because you process the information doesn't mean anything's going to work. You got to let it sink into your heart. I said, so they, they were good enough to stay there and listen to him morning until evening. How many people in our, people in our culture would listen to someone they still don't really, dis, they still don't really agree with for more, from morning to evening multiple days? We can't get people to do that who really love us and totally agree with us. Can you imagine? There's something about these people that keep showing up, but it's not profiting them. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Would not. When we hear would not, it means it's an act of their will. They would not. They chose not to. One of our brothers in our own church said to us one time during a prayer meeting, He was a guy who'd come out of a a really tough lifestyle, come out of drug addiction, come out of a lot of things. And he said, for years, I kept coming to a place where I would hear the word. I'd hear somebody preach at me. I'd hear about Jesus. But I kept stumbling over things. I kept running into a wall about things I couldn't understand. I couldn't process it. I didn't know how this made sense to me. He said, and then one day, I just chose to believe he said, the moment I chose to believe, all of a sudden the answers I'd been looking for clicked. And I understood. Now you see, here's what we want. We want it to go the other way around. Make me understand. Then I'll believe you. Convince me. But Jesus says, if your eyes are closed, if your ears are closed, if your heart's closed, Jesus was the best preacher the world's ever seen, ever will see. And he, would not, he couldn't convince them. What makes you think I could convince you? Right? So our friend, our brother said, I chose to believe. Then all of a sudden, all my questions started to be answered. I got it. Belief came first. That's faith. Faith is not sight. If you could understand everything, it would be your sight. Now, that is a stumbling block to an arrogant mind. And we all, if we could admit it, have been arrogant of mind. God's not asking you to check your mind at the door. He's asking you to submit your mind to your spirit and let your spirit lead, and he'll work with your mind. Because he created your mind. God is the most intelligent being that, that the universe will ever see. Because he, he's the one that created everything. So if science was perfect, we'd understand everything. But we don't. We just see little glimpses. And yet God sees the whole picture. Reading this again, he says... They would not believe, and when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You'll keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You'll keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears 
and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Here's where they lost it. Some were being persuaded, but others would not believe. It takes faith for you to hear. It takes faith to see. We want to see and then faith come, but in reality, there has to be faith for you to see anything. I want to read you one final section of scripture from Isaiah 55. And then we'll close in prayer. Once again, Isaiah 55 is a wonderful example of a God who created the universe trying to get our attention. And like I said before, it's baffling that he would ask us for our attention and not the other way around. Right? The Lord hears our prayer. He's mindful of us, the scripture says. (laughs) Us. King David says, who are we? What is mankind? What is humanity that you would think of us? And yet he does. It's God who's saying, I want your attention. Isaiah 55 starts with a, a bit of a funny Exclamation, at least in my translation, it says, Ho! Hey! That's the best translation I can think of is, Hey! (laughs) Can you imagine God saying, Hey! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why are you spending your money for what's not bread? Why are you spending your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Have you ever considered that your listening is tied to your eating? Because he's telling you where the food is. The food's with me. If you'd listen, you know where I am. Listen carefully to me and eat what's good. I'm the one ringing the dinner bell here. Listen. Delight yourself in abundance. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Do you see that what we hear, when we hear him, we instinctively turn towards him and start walking towards him. The act of hearing is how he's calling the sheep for dinner. How he's calling us out of danger. How he's calling us to heal us and restore us in his presence. So study this chapter and you'll see every time he says listen or I'm calling out. Not far from it is an exhortation to come. He's saying two things over and over again. Listen to me and come to me. Listen to me and come to me. And it's not coincidental because they go together. So many people are looking for Jesus, but they're not listening. They're hoping that Jesus will show up at their house and put on a light show. They're hoping that Jesus will knock them on their, just on their backside on the way to their car. But, you know, maybe, maybe one of the main ways that the Lord is trying to get you to come to him is by speaking, talking to you. Are you listening? Are you listening tonight? 
Because if we're listening, it'll turn us towards him. And when we're turned towards him, we are instinctively drawn towards him. Incline your ear. What does that mean? That word incline means to, it's a word that means to, to stretch, to bend towards, to, to lean in. And you notice there's a difference when you're just there to hear somebody talk. But when they start to say something that you really want to hear, what do you do? You lean forward. You, you want to hear it. Your posture reflects your heart. You're, you're leaning in. I'm not judging anybody's posture tonight because we all listen different. But leaning in means I'm, I'm making an effort to hear something. When you lean in, in fact, you're trying to hear something you wouldn't have heard if you'd sat back. I'm a musician. Sometimes I'll hear a song in a store and I'm hearing the song through tinny speakers and in and, 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 and a crowded mall with a lot of stuff going on. But if I want to analyze the song, if I really want to learn the song or, or admire the song, what I'll do is I'll put it on really good headphones, I'll put it in and I'll listen carefully for the different parts that are being played. That's a different way to listen. And in doing so, I'll discover things I never would have discovered in the shopping mall. Right? Because my intent is different. What if, we're, what if we got to learn a song for praise and worship? If I'm going to learn a song for praise and worship, I'm not just going to throw it on my computer while I'm doing chores. Because I probably won't learn my part. But I'll put headphones on. I'll, I'll sit down. I might have a pen and paper. I've seen Randy's notes before. He makes great notes when he's learning a new song. And he puts it on the music stand. He says, this is where I come in. This is where we do this. Because we're listening for our part. How we listen is going to affect what we do. Incline your ear and what? Come to me. Because if you'll incline your ear, you'll know where I am. And you'll want to come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I've made him. Behold. So we've heard listen. Now we're hearing behold. Look. Listen and look. Behold, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold. You will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which you knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Now the rest of the chapter is beautiful, but I'm going to stop there for, for tonight. I want to leave you with that thought. Turn to me and I'll have compassion on you. Turn to me and I'll heal you. Turn to me and you'll live. Listen and you'll turn. Watch and you'll turn. When we turn to the Lord, we're healed. When we turn to the Lord, we find his compassion. When we turn to the Lord, we find restoration. We find deliverance. We find salvation in every sense of the word. When we turn to the Lord, we find our provision. He says, I'll delight you with abundance. Everything we need is in him. And the way we find all the things that we need and we receive all the things we need are by turning. And the way we turn 
is not to look for him the last place we saw him, but to listen. What is he saying? What's he saying? I would have challenged you every time you come and listen to a sermon, every time you open your Bible at home, every time you go to the Lord in prayer in your private residence, every time you have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ and God is speaking through you to them and them to you, I want you to be listening beyond the, the normal surface. I don't want you to be just listening for the entertaining story. I don't want you to just be listening for the obvious practical application. I want you to be listening. What is God saying to me through this? And how will this cause me to turn? Is there a part of my heart that still has not turned? Or have I turned already and yet this is causing me to be encouraged in the turning? This is causing me to be revitalized in the race. I had turned towards him and I walked in his direction, but I heard this and now I want to run. Or now I can turn, as Jesus said to Peter, when you've returned, when you've turned back to me, what does he say? Encourage your brothers. Maybe you're sitting here tonight saying, I believe everything you said. In fact, there's, there's nothing in my heart, I, as far as I know, and the Lord can reveal this, but as far as I know, there's nothing I need to turn. I, I believe I have turned in all these areas. In the future, God will show me more. But right now, I believe my heart's turned towards him. Then do what Jesus said to Peter. When you've turned, after you've turned, go and encourage your brothers. So if you show up and everything I say is something you know, then go and encourage someone else. Because God wants to use you to open hearts, eyes, and ears. That they would turn and he will heal them. Healing is found when we turn to the Lord. Amen.